Episode 6 Scotland, Summer 1482 Vikings of the Pandemic In 1481, plague hit Stirling Castle where Queen Margaret, Queen Consort to James III of Scotland, was in residence with her three sons. Queen Margaret was desperate to leave before the plague got worse. There was another reason for Queen Margaret to leave Stirling Castle. She was concerned about her safety and that of her children. Her husband, King James III, had been captured by a group of northern nobles and was imprisoned in Edinburgh Castle for his own protection. Scotland was in disarray. The king's brother, Alexander, the Duke of Albany, in league with Edward IV, King of England, was supporting an invasion of Scotland led by King Edward's brother, Richard, the Duke of Gloucester. Several southern nobles allied themselves with Alexander and his scheme to secure the throne of Scotland for himself and his descendants. The northern lords, loyal to the rightful heir, did not go along with this treason. They believed that the king, his heir, and his family needed to be protected to preserve the throne of Scotland. Queen Margaret was going to seek refuge in the Orkney Islands. Her ship, the Queen Margaret, was ready for her departure, sitting at the port of Leith, just outside of Edinburgh. There was a connection between the king, Queen and Orkney. Margaret was the daughter of King Christian I, ruler of Denmark, Norway, and Sweden. When Margaret of Denmark was betrothed to James III, the northern isles of Orkney and Shetland, that had been part of Norway since 900 AD, became part of her dowry. From that time onward, Orkney and Shetland belonged to Scotland. The connections, culturally, linguistically, economically, and historically, however, remain strong between Orcadians and Norway. Margaret's connection to Orkney was not just historical and political, but also personal. In, 1649, in 1469, when Princess Margaret was aged 13 and on her way from Bergen to Leith to be married to the young Scottish king, her ship was wrecked near Kirkwall. She stayed in the recently restored Bishop's Palace until James sent a ship to bring her and her wedding party to Edinburgh. The wedding party included her father's sister, Countess Adelheide, who was Margaret's guardian during her minority, and his brother, Count Gerard of Oldenburg. They were representing the King of Denmark at the wedding. John Work, the fortress keeper of Orkney, was the person who spotted Margaret's ship veering towards the cliffs surrounding Kirkwall Bay. His sprawling farm was on Chapensee, located in the harbor, and he led the islanders' rescue effort, saving the lives of the passengers and crew. After the royal party left Kirkwall, he supervised the repair of the Queen Margaret, restoring the ship to its former condition and sailing it to Stirling Castle. The new queen knew and trusted this family. When she was pregnant with her first child in 1472, Margaret asked John Work's young daughter, Mildred, to come to Stirling to help her with child care. Margaret bore three boys in quick succession. 
1481, nine years later, Mildred was, very, was a very mature 20-year-old who possessed the gift of healing that the work family was known for. She and the queen kept watch day and night as the fever spread from the eldest son to the youngest. They both feared that the fever was the beginning stage of the plague that had been circulating around Scotland since the end of the previous century. A physician was sent for from Edinburgh, but because of poor weather had not arrived, as a last resort, the queen brought out an amulet that had been given to her by her aunt, Countess Adelheide. She placed the amulet in the shape of a Viking ship on the chest of each feverish boy. Miraculously, their fever broke and they were restored to health before the physician even arrived. When the danger was over, Mildred examined the amulet closely. It was made of bronze and hung on the end of a long chain. On one side was etched the image of a ship, and on the other there was a cross. A clasp that had not been opened in many years secured whatever was held inside. Mildred turned to Margaret. The power of your amulet is very strong, your majesty. Tell me a story, for it looks very old, and its healing powers are more powerful than any of the medicines and herbs in our pharmacy. Even the royal physician from Edinburgh was surprised by this boy's sudden recovery. Mildred, this amulet is very old, and it has been worn and cherished by women in my family since before the time of Queen Ingeborg of Norway, my ancestor. This was Margaret speaking. My aunt, Countess Adelheide, who accompanied me to Scotland in 1469, passed it on to me as we set out on that fateful trip from Bergen to Scotland. We both believe that this amulet that I was wearing during that terrible storm that practically scuttled my ship led us to safety in Orkney. Margaret continued, Adelheide sent me a letter from her home in Denmark after James was born telling me the amulet's history. She advised me to keep it close while my children were young because of its protective powers. She said the amulet originally came from Orkney. She asked me to share this information with your family because there is a connection be between your family and this amulet. That is what I am intending to do on this trip to Orkney. Since then, the subject of the amulet had not been raised by the queen. Mildred was very familiar with her family stories about an ancient amulet containing healing plants that was no longer in the family's possession. No one knew what had become of it. Maybe she would now find out. Two days later, the royal household boarded the Queen Margaret and made its way to Kirkwall. Queen Margaret's fondness for Scotland's Northern Irelanders was genuine. Before she took up her duties in the royal household, she and her aunt Adelaide toured the North, accompanied by John Wirt, who knew the area and the people well. This tour helped appease the dissatisfaction some Northern lords felt towards the king and the court. She interceded on behalf of the Lord of the Isles, MacDonald, in 1476 when her husband threatened to take away his title. Their dispute involved relations with England, their prickly and aggressive neighbor to the south. 
King James could not make up his mind whether he wanted an alliance with England or not, but he certainly could not tolerate a treaty between that country and his most powerful northern lord, the Lord of the Isles. The risk of invasion of Scotland by England on two fronts, from the north and the south, was too great. Over the winter months, envoys from Edinburgh came to the bishop's palace in Orkney, first from the Duke of Albany, who wanted to assure the queen that she and her sons would be safe if they returned to Stirling Castle, then from the queen's husband, King James. He was released from Edinburgh Castle in February after convincing his brother Alexander that he would not take revenge upon him or take away his lands. Just as quickly, he reversed these promises once he was free and gathered more nobles around them. The Duke of Albany was outlawed from Scotland, taking refuge in England. King James proved to be too strong and the re rebellion faded away. Queen Margaret looked out over Kirkwall Bay from the bishop's palace. Under gray skies, she observed the bustling port of Kirkwall, and beyond the sprawling work farm and its many outbuildings lined up along the shoreline at the southern tip of Chapitse Island. She summoned John Work and his wife Annabelle to the palace. She was returning to Stirling in the spring with her three boys. The queen received John and Annabelle in the great hall. Mildred was by her side. Mildred would be returning with the queen to Stirling Castle. The two oldest boys were with their mother and Mildred held the youngest boy's hand. James, Earl of Rossi and successful successor to the crown was a strapping 10 year old. James, Earl of Ross was eight years old, and John, Earl of Mar, was three years old. With their health restored, the boys were anxious to return to the activities of the Queen's court. After her three sons excused themselves, the four sat by the fireplace. Margaret withdrew the amulet from her bodice and turned it over in the light of the fire. She said, my aunt, Countess Adelaide, whom you met when our ship floundered here in Orkney, discovered information about the origins of this amulet before her death. I have reason to believe that there could be a connection between your family stories about an amulet with amazing healing powers and this amulet. They could be one and the same. One of the scholars from the University of Paris who came to Stirling to look at the amulet conferred its great age and stated that the workmanship was consistent with metalwork coming out of the Holy Land at the time of the Crusades. John, Annabelle, and Mildred looked at Margaret in amazement. They said nothing. The Queen continued. Countess Adelaide asked a scribe from the University in Copenhagen to search historical records about the royal family to find references to the amulet, and she asked family members when and how it was passed down from one generation to the next. Countess Idelheid was given the amulet by her mother, Helvig of Schwischwig and Holstein. Helvig was a direct descendant of the Mecklenburg line of the royal family of Norway. 
daughters of the King of Norway had married into the Mecklenburg dynasty because of its prominence in Denmark. Countess Adelheid was able to trace the amulet back to Ingeberg of Norway, who was Queen Regent of Norway and Sweden in the 1300s. She continued, Ingeberg was the great-granddaughter of King Hakon IV of Norway, who passed away in this very palace, the Bishop's Palace in Kirkwall, in 1263 after the Battle of the Largs. At Largs, Hakon IV and his allies fought King Alexander III of Scotland. King Hakon returned to Kirkwall thinking that he had won that battle. My aunt thought that perhaps the women of the work family, well known for their healing powers, were called upon to tend to the king as he was dying and left the amulet with him, hoping that it would save him. Of course, it did not. The amulet must have been returned to Norway with the king's body. Margaret handed the amulet to John. He and Annabel examined the heirloom. Eventually, John spoke. Your family has carefully preserved this amulet for many generations, Queen Margaret. You and your ancestors have used it wisely in times of great need. Just this past year, this amulet helped ensure the survival of the Stuart dynasty. I am not sure what you might be suggesting, but I know that this amulet at this time is very important to you and to your family. He extended his hand, holding the amulet to the queen. I think you should keep this amulet until the danger to your family has passed, he said. Thank you, John Work, for saying that. Margaret replied, I have long admired how members of your family have gathered knowledge of medicine through so many generations. I have also witnessed the great curiosity that women in your family have had about the whereabouts of the amulet that was lost to you. Margaret generally reached, gingerly reached out and took the amulet out of John's hands. With your blessing, I will continue to use this amulet to protect my son's health. My main purpose now is to ensure their survival. I live for that. When the health of my children is secure, I will send this amulet back to you with Mildred. The queen looked very tired. All of them stood up reluctantly. John and Annabelle could tell that the queen was anxious about returning to Sterling and her husband, and probably afraid of what the future might bring. You and I will stay together, your majesty, Mildred said. I will remain by your side and support you. We will both safeguard your three sons. The amulet will end up in the right place at the right time. Mildred placed her hand on Margaret's arm. Queen Margaret smiled, patting Mildred's hand. The two women turned toward the door with John and Annabelle following. Margaret bid them farewell. John and Annabelle never saw her again. She passed away in mysterious circumstances in 1486 with Mildred by her side. 
Mildred returned to her home briefly, greatly saddened. She did not stay long. She had met a physician, Edward Gibson, during her time at Sterling. He taught medicine at the University of Glasgow, and so she became his wife and moved there, taking the amulet with her. In September 1513, the world turned upside down. Mildred was 50 years, 53 years old, and she was still living in Glasgow. She was not in the best of health when she and her husband, Edward Gibson, heard the news that a disastrous battle had taken place at Flodden Field in northern England, and many Scotsmen, including King James IV, and most of his nobles were killed by the English. She immediately contacted her brother, Robert Work, who also lived in Glasgow. She knew that this news would be disastrous, not just for Scotland, but for her family in Orkney, because Lord Henry Sinclair, representing the, the king on Orkney Island, was among those slain. A contention of Orkney men, including members of the work family, were part of Lord Henry's muster on the battlefield. Robert Work was a lawyer at the University of Glasgow. He started out studying to be a priest, but after studying canon and civil law, he left the priesthood. Scotland developed an organized administrative and judicial system under James III and his son, James IV, and lawyers were in demand in the larger centers. Robert was one of a handful of lawyers who understood the Norse laws that still governed Orkney. After talking to his sister, he immediately prepared to travel to Orkney, carrying with him a letter from her. The family gathered at his brother John Work's farmstead on Chapinsay Island shortly after Robert arrived. They feared that the death of Lord Henry was going to have a huge impact upon their lives because he was the head of a large family, many of whom owned land in Orkney. Lord Henry also held many important positions in the court of James IV. With Henry gone, family factions in Orkney would begin to aggressively fill the vacuum that had been created by his death. At court, James IV, infant son, was crowned King James V, and regents, made up of Scotland's most powerful lords, took charge of the kingdom. John, fortress keeper and head of the family, and his brother Harold held neighboring farmlands on shape and sea that produced grains and cattle sold to the growing population of Kirkwall. Their fishing boats and processing plant were a source of additional income. John was also a trader, sailing regularly to Amsterdam, the Baltic seaports, Western Scotland, and Northern Ireland. Regencies have been the bane of Scotland's history, said Robert, who kept abreast of what was happening at court. Although I did not always agree with James IV, his early death has brought us to, to governance by politics and power. Let us hope that the administrative structures that have been developed over the past two reigns will keep the country solvent and the judicial system functioning. We have been caught in the crosshairs of England and France once again. We have a regent 
James V's mother, who was aunt to King Henry of England. Scotland has a treaty with France that caused us to go into this disastrous battle at Flodden in the first place. What will the influence of England and France be on the new regime? He asked. Closer to home, his brother John interjected, I am afraid that Lord Henry's widow, Margaret, and their son, William, will have their hands full trying to maintain control over the king's holdings here in Orkney. Neither of them reside here. They are in Scotland. There are too many Sinclairs closer at hand who do live here, who probably wish to take over collecting the king's rents. I fear the widow, Margaret's claim, will actually be disputed. Perhaps these families will be so busy in their intrigues that they will not bother us for a while. This was Carol speaking. Our independence here in Orkney is based on owning our own land and our trading position across the North Sea. The Baltic Sea roads routes have never been busier since the Muslim closed the traditional overland trading routes to the Middle East. Our family farmlands are in a secure position at the moment, reflected Robert, the lawyer. I would strongly advise against further fragmentation of our holdings, though. In fact, I would recommend that John and Harold consolidate their land to be even in a stronger position. Robert's uncertainty about the future concerned the younger generation sitting around the work living room, and it showed on their faces. Many works in the past had gone into trading, farming, and the priesthood. Others, mostly women, were known as healers. They wanted these traditions and opportunities to continue. Robert sought to interject a more positive tone for their sake. He brought out the letter that Mildred asked him to deliver to the family. Mildred wrote, I am deeply saddened by the death of James IV at Flodden Field. I held a deep affection for the royal family, particularly the sons of Queen Margaret of Denmark. As you know, I helped look after her three sons from their infancy. The death of our eldest son prompted me to revisit the death of the Queen Margaret herself, something that I have been reticent to think or talk about for many years. The Queen and I shared a bond, and that was to keep all, at all cost her three sons alive and well. She was very dedicated to that task and sometimes solicited my help. But I could not help her when she herself became gravely ill in 1486. She was feverish, almost to the point of unconsciousness. This fever came on suddenly, and its cause was unknown even to this day. One of her last conscious acts was to give me the amulet that she always wore around her neck. Mildred oh, continued, My father John and my mother Anna, Annabelle work, and I knew that the queen was in possession of our family amulet. While she was staying here at the bishop's palace in 1480. 
too during the Stuart crisis. The queen told us that the amulet had been passed down to her by her aunt. In 1482, not only was her husband, the king, in prison, but her three sons were very ill. It was a miracle when, after using this amulet, the three boys recovered from their fever. I witnessed this miracle. John and Annabelle decided to let the queen continue using the am amulet until her sons were out of danger. As you will learn from the amulet's history that I have enclosed on a separate sheet, it has been passed down from one generation to the next by the women of the Norwegian royal family since the late 1200s when it left Orkney Island. John and Annabelle understood that Margaret would hand the amulet over to me when the danger of the plague or other catastrophe had passed, and she did on her deathbed. I firmly believe, as did Queen Margaret, that this amulet is the same one that our ancestor brought back from the Holy Land. The amulet contains a plant that a previous ancestor collected during the voyage to Greenland and to the land the Vikings called Vinland, that is beyond Greenland. Robert paused. A collective gasp came from the family members. The family story of the amulet with magical healing powers was familiar to everyone, but some wondered if the story was a family myth and if the amulet ever actually existed. The news that it had been found and restored to the work land was a revelation. Mildred concluded the letter. It is with great joy that I tell you that I have safely kept this amulet with me all these years since the Queen's passing. Both my husband and I maintain an ongoing interest in the healing power of medicinal plants. Glasgow and the University of Glasgow have been a marvelous location to do this. Not only do we have the medical school, one of the finest in Scotland, but we have close contact with physicians trained in Ireland who helped establish Glasgow as a health center in the first place. I hope the knowledge that this family treasure still exists gives the young people in our family confidence and hope that the future will be bright for those in our family who seek and learn.